0: You are tuning in to the True North Church podcast. Our prayer is that you would be inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information about True North Church, please visit us online at truenorthak.org. Well, we are starting a new series this morning called Trees. And uh, before we hop into this series, let me ask some of you, how many of you have your tree already up? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. If you don't, I don't want to stress you out, but it's fastly approaching that you're going to run out of time to put your tree up. How many of you have had your tree up since November? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you since October? Oh man, I see you crazies out there. I actually, uh, uh, put mine up in October, but I referred to it as a holiday tree, not a Christmas tree until Christmas time. But anyways, we're, we're not going to be talking about that kind of tree. We're going to be talking about family trees. Yeah. Y'all want to sit around and talk about swap stories about family trees, (laughs) you know? And so I don't know uh, how many of you out there can relate to this, but I remember growing up, there uh, was always a family Bible. And in the front of that family Bible, it would have your name and your date of birth and then your parents and their parents and their parents' parents and the whole like, you know, listing of the family tree in this front of this Bible. But I also find it interesting, this is kind of a lost art, but I find it interesting that uh, if you look back at maybe your mom's or your grandmother's photo albums, anyone ever looked in a, some of y'all are really young and you're like, what's a photo album? It's on my phone, right? But there was something called a photo album. And what they did is they would write Down the names of the people, have you seen this? Or is this just a certain thing? I don't know. Uh, On the back of the photos and the date. And my granny would say, oh yeah, that's your your Aunt Myrtle and your cousin Janine. And I'm like, I didn't know I had an Aunt Myrtle and a cousin, but there they are in this picture dated 1947, right? You know, I think that is a lost art. But something else that is kind of interesting back in the day is that if someone told you you were related to someone famous, uh, there was no way to prove or disprove this, okay? You just went with it. In fact, my husband's family was always told that he was related to Davy Crockett. How many know Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier? Anybody heard that? Probably not. But uh, that's what he was told, so that's what he went with. But my granny was always told that she was related to the first governor of Florida. Now, some of you may not be impressed with that, but she was born and raised in Florida, and her maiden name was Duval, and the first governor's name was Duval, and she would always say, I'm related to the first governor of Florida. And we couldn't argue with that, right? Until... The internet. (laughs) The internet came out, and right when it came out, there were these sites that you could pay for that would have like genealogy research. And you could research, or, or you could pay to have all these databases to research your family tree. And she was really excited about this because you see, my husband's grandmother also was excited about this because they had always been told that they were related to the Bellamini family in Italy. And so they got on there and lo and behold, they came across Sister Bellamini in Italy. And do you know, she flew all the way from Italy to my little hometown of Santa Fe, Texas. And we all had dinner with Sister Bellamini. Now that pumped my granny up real big, right? It's like, that's going to be me. I'm going to find out the truth. But something happened in her research. Now, she was researching and there came to the spot where it just said, Duval baby, no name. And it had a date of birth, but it just said Duval baby. And underneath that someone wrote illegitimate son. And that stopped the research right there. Now, for some of you, you may be like, I don't understand why why that's a big deal. But when my granny started asking family members about who's this Duval baby, you know, illegitimate son thing, and they're like, oh, we don't talk about that. You know, we don't talk about that, right? Because it was a shameful thing because illegitimate meant that they knew who his mama was. They knew that his daddy might be a Duval, but we ain't gonna claim who the daddy is because they ain't married, right? And so that was a shameful thing. So she never found out who, she was actually related to. Now, you may not be really interested in your genealogy, but you know, in the Bible times, they were super interested in genealogy. How many of you have ever done one of those Bible in the year plans, and you're in the Old Testament, and it's like a list of the tribes of Israel, and it's like the father of this, and you're like, skim, skim, what was I supposed to get out of that today, Lord? I don't know. You only know, right? But back then, you couldn't just say you were related to somebody, you had to prove it. You had to prove that you were somebody's great-great-grandson so that you could claim this plot of land. Also, you couldn't just come up, not just anybody could perform the temple duties, you had to prove that you were from the tribe of the Levites who had the priestly duties. You couldn't just say that your great-great-granddaddy was the king, you had to prove it, right? And genealogy was very, very important. That's why they kept such meticulous little records, right? And when it comes to Jesus' genealogy, it's even more important. And, you know, when we think about the Christmas story, I don't know how many of you say, Got around kids, we're going to talk about the Christmas story. And you open it up to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. yeah. You ever looked at that? We don't, we don't usually, we don't usually read that part. We go straight to like when Mary was encountered with the angel and she was told that she was going to have a baby. We like that part, but Matthew chapter one, we, we kind of skim over that part, but it's actually one of the most important parts of the Christmas story, if not the most important part. And in fact, Matthew chapter one comes right out of the gate and says this, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and the list goes on and on and on and on. So why is Jesus' genealogy so important? It's because, well, it establishes that he is from the royal family of David. And you see, that was very key. Because, see, the Jewish people knew exactly who they were waiting for. They were waiting for the Messiah. And they knew their prophecies. They knew that it said that he would be from the line of David. In fact, all the way back in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 7, sorry, chapter 7, verse 16, Samuel tells David, he says this. He says this Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Before me, your throne will be established forever. Look, Samuel is telling David, hey, there's gonna come someone after you and his kingdom is not gonna be like any other kingdom and his reign will last forever forever. And then further on down in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah says this. We quoted a lot during Christmas time, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government of a shoulder. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I skipped down. Uh, It's unto us a a child is born, unto us a son is given. Yes, and the government of shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. Of the increases as government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of upon the throne of David. It was very important that that information that is what they're looking for. That's why when you're looking in that genealogy, David is mentioned first, right? But he comes way past Abraham in the line of the father of the father of the father of but that was what they would be looking for, David. That was an important thing, and that's why it's in there. That's why it's important for us to know that as well. Jesus wasn't just some man, right? He wasn't just some Jewish guy. He was the promised Messiah from the line of David, and that's right there from the get-go in Matthew chapter 1. Another reason why Jesus' genealogy is important is it demonstrates that Jesus has historical roots. We all wanna know where we're from, right? I mean, one of the things that I get to do when uh, people are new to True North is I call them up. And one of the first things I ask is, are you new to Fairbanks? And when they say yes, I'm like, well, where are you from? You want to know where someone's from, right? Do you know God could have done it any other way, right? You think about that? He could have sent Jesus any other way. He could have just put him in on the planet, a full grown person or being doing miracles and just skedaddled out of here but he chose to do it in a way that he knew that you and I would relate to. Born in a specific place, Bethlehem, born of a woman into a family that has a history that's been here. He has a family, he knows what it's like to have a mom and a dad and brothers. He knows what it's like to grow up just like you and I. He knows what it's like to be told family stories around the table, right? He has those historical roots. And number three, why it's so, or letter C, why it's so important that we know Jesus' genealogy is it's a chronicle of the grace of God. You know, when we look at some of these lists in there, we know them, right? Abraham, Jacob, Judah, Solomon, David, and we can, or David comes first, right? Then Solomon. But we look at these of like great heroes of faith, right? I mean, we know that they did some great things. And sometimes we forget or we choose not to remember that they are also liars and cheaters and murderers and adulterers and polygamists. There's a whole line of things that you probably wanna like scooch under the rug there, but there they are, a representation of God's grace that he still chooses to use in perfect vessels to bring about his perfect plan, right? And we can relate to that, right? So we're gonna focus a little bit though more not on the guys that are listed because there's something very unique about that first chapter in Matthew, when it's listing the genealogy, it lists four women. Now you and I both know that there are more than four women in Jesus' genealogy. For every man, there is a woman, right? I mean, I don't know. If you need more explanation than that, see me after, okay? But, uh, But they only list four. And historically, it wasn't common for them to list women when we're talking about the genealogy. So why are these women listed? Now, you may be thinking, well, if these women are listed in Jesus's family tree, thus these must be extraordinary women. They These must be Mother Teresa types, right? I mean, that's what you would think if they're actually taking time to list women in this genealogy when it's not a common thing but we would be so far from the truth and we're going to look at these four women today the first one that's listed in this genealogy is Tamar now Tamar's story starts way back in Genesis chapter 38 and it's an interesting story probably not one that you gather around the, the table and say kids you want to hear about your great-great-grandma tomorrow let me tell you how what happened with her okay cuz Tamar was married to two of Judah's sons not at the same time but she was married to the oldest and he died and then Judah was like that's okay I've got this other son and he's like hey I want you to marry your brother wife and then your kids will actually be his kids so we can continue this family line and you know what uh he wasn't on board with that and he died and then judah's like hey don't worry tomorrow i've got another son he's just a little young right now but why don't you go back to your father's house and wait for him to grow up and then i'll send for you now all the girls in the audience are probably going ew because <laughs> i know i think about that and they're like no thank you i don't want your little boy, right, okay? But back then, it was like her only option, okay? This is Genesis, right? Women had no rights, and the only way that they could have success in life is to make sure that they were married and that they actually carried on the family name. And the fact that her husband had died and then her husband died again, she was widowed two times, okay? That was not good for her. But Tamar knew that Judah was not gonna keep up his end of the bargain, all right? The son had grown up, and she's still living at her father's house. And then she heard that Judah was pretty distraught over the death of his own wife, and she comes up with a plan. Now, when we have our own plans, it usually doesn't go well. Uh, and Tamar had a very uh, disturbing plan. She decided she was gonna dress up as a shrine prostitute wait for her very drunk father-in-law to come seduce him and hopefully get pregnant so that she kind of traps him and now she'll be taken care of and there's heirs, all right? And that's exactly what happens, right? And then we're like, oh, wow, that's a crazy story. But yet she's there plopped right in Jesus's family line. The next woman is Rahab. Now Rahab, she didn't just pretend to be a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. In fact, later on in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith, uh, Rahab is listed as Rahab the prostitute. Even though she did not end her life as a prostitute, that title stuck with her. How would you like that? I mean, that would be terrible, right? But Rahab, uh, her is in Joshua chapter 2, and what's interesting about Rahab is she lived in the land of Jericho. You know, the one that they marched around and took over? Well, this uh, Israel knew that the Lord was going to give them the land. And then they went in to kind of strategically spy it out and they run into Rahab and Rahab tells them, I've heard about your God. And the people here, their hearts are melting because they know the stories of your God. How many of you think that Rahab also was pretty excited about the stories of the God for her to even mention it and decide to hide these spies from the people in the town. And so as a result, they spared her and her family And obviously Rahab married into the Israelite family because there she is, a foreign woman married into the Israeli family and boom, plopped right there. Second woman mentioned in the family line of Jesus. The third woman that's mentioned is Ruth. Now Ruth has a whole Bible book of the Bible written about her. And her story isn't as maybe scandalous as the first two, but it is interesting because Ruth is from the land of Moab. She's a Moabite woman. And although it doesn't list her sins out, We know from the Bible that the Lord says, hey, Israel, don't intermarry with the Moabites because the way that they practice and the things that they do, it's evil, right? But what happens? Well, they intermarry. So she ends up marrying a Jewish man and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and herself and her sister all find themselves widowed at the same time. How horrific is that, right? And Naomi, the mother-in-law, tells Ruth and her her sister-in-law, hey, You guys, you don't owe me anything. You can go back to your your family. Um, I'm going back to my people. And Ruth clings to her mother-in-law and says, where you go, I will go. Your people are my people and your God is my God. This foreign woman from the Moabites makes a decision that will forever change her life and her history and her lineage, right? So she goes with Naomi and she starts working in a field. And some of you know the story, it was the field of her relative, Naomi's relative, her mother-in-law's relative, Boaz. And there she is plopped right there in the story of Jesus's family. The last woman that's mentioned, she's not mentioned by name. It just says Uriah's wife but we all know her as Bathsheba and her story is as crazy and tainted as they come, right? A woman minding her own business, taking a bath, right? Summoned by the king, has an adulterous affair. The king has her husband murdered. She has a baby with the king. That baby dies as a result of their sin, right? But then something that we forget about Bathsheba is Bathsheba was the mother of Solomon who was the wisest king that ever lived, right? That's a pretty awesome redemption story in itself, right? And there she is, boom, plopped right down in the family line of Jesus. Now, all these women, why would God include women like this in the Bible? You know, because he could have left it out. It would have been easy. No one would have thought anything of it because it wasn't common to have the women listed in the genealogy. I mean, just kind of like how my granny found out that we don't talk about that, right? Uh, They could have been like, we don't talk about tomorrow. Mm -mm, No, don't talk about tomorrow. We don't talk about Rahab. No, you know, they could have just left that out. But yet the author specifically, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, put those words down there to make sure that you and I today, (laughs) even in this day, would notice it. And you have to believe that they noticed it back then because it wasn't traditional for them to have women listed in that genealogy line. So why would women be included like that? Well, Number one, I think it's to send a message to the self-righteous, right? The self-righteous people of the day were the Pharisees and they believed if anyone deserved to go and spend eternity with the Lord, it would be them. They were the ones that were like, we will be the ones to discover the Messiah. No one else will be able to discover him because we are the Pharisees. We study the law. We know it from front to cover. We know what it says. And what a slap in the face it would have been to read this genealogy or hear about it from the book of Matthew, right? And now you may be saying, well, I'm not self-righteous. Well, maybe you're not self-righteous in that aspect, or maybe, you know, you don't think that your family's better than the next, but what, have we ever been guilty of thinking, ah, I don't really need God, I got this, you know? I don't really need Jesus's help right now, I, I got this. You know, that's a form of self-righteousness too, thinking that we can handle it. But you know what the Bible says is that we all fall short of the glory of God. And on our very, very, very best day, the Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. So we all need a savior. None of us are, are making the mark right? And, it, and I, I think God just puts these in there to remind us that he comes from a family of sinners and we are all sinners because we all fall short. And he puts these women in there to remind us in a message to the self-righteous. Number two, maybe he put them in there because he did it so God's grace might be richly displayed. You know, Romans 5.20 says where sin increased, grace increased much more. And how many of you know when you have really been living a life of sin and God's freed you from that, Man, you you jump a little bit higher. Now, we had this guy that would help out uh, youth camp every year in Southeast Alaska. His name was uh, Mike Mullen, okay? And he was insane, right? And people will be like, oh my gosh, he's just crazy. I mean, he walked around camp with a bullhorn and I don't know, you just have to meet. It took me a while to like, uh, like okay, I'm around Mike because he was just so intense. But when you knew what God had freed him from, he was freed from a life of meth addiction, right? And so when he worshiped God, he would go to the very back of the room and he was like a windmill. I don't even know what was happening, but he was so thankful that he was alive because where sin was, grace was so much greater because he knew that he knew that he knew he should be dead, right? He knew they shouldn't have been there, but grace reached down and said, I love you. And you know what? It does the same for you and I today. We don't deserve the goodness that God has given, right? And when I think about, you know, the people that are listed, you know, the murderers uh, and the prostitutes and all those things, you know, they're in heaven because of the redemption power of the grace of God. When I think about my family, <laughs> you know, I know that there's grace on my life because I know where I come from, right? Number three, why, it's so in, why these women were in there is he did it so that we would focus on Jesus. You know what? He is the reason for the season, right? (laughs) We need to focus on Jesus. Anyone remember that old hymn, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face, right? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, right? I loved that. I don't sing, I'm not on the worship, that was just for free, all right? But I loved that when I would go to church with my granny because you know what, my life was full of chaos. My family, i mentioned my granny a lot because she's the light in my family, right? And I when we would sing that song, I literally was like, isn't that so true? Even as a little girl, I mean, man, if I can just look at Jesus, everything else will fade. My chaos, my family situation, whatever I'm going through, if I would just look into his face, none of that else, nothing else mattered, right? And I think that's what God is wanting us to know today. He wants us to focus on him. You know, I don't know where you are today, I don't know where you may fall in all of this. You know, I don't know if you've ever said, "I'm good, God. I I don't need you in my life. I got this." Right? I don't know if you are the are there where it's like, you know, you don't know my family. You don't know my history. There's no way God could use me. You know something that my youth pastor, who I got married at a young age, so my youth pastor married. I got married at age 19, so my youth pastor performed my wedding. My husband and I were in that youth group, and both of my husband and I do not have a great family tree. We have great people in our family, right? But I, it would there's lots of things that you'd like to cover under the rug. Some of the things that my grandmother discovered in her finding, you know, trying to find if she was related to the first governor of. Of Florida, some of the things she discovered were painful. I mean, I'm from the deep, deep South. We discovered some yucky stuff. So my my family tree consisted of racism, of alcoholism, of abuse, physical and sexual abuse. It That's my family heritage. That's my family tree, right? And on my husband's side, it's the same, you know, but throw murder in there because that's exactly how his grandfather was, uh, uh, he ended this life, he was murdered. So what my youth pastor had us do was do an activity separately. And guess what? You don't have to do this uh, you know, right before you get married. You can do it today. He had us write down everything that we knew about our family that may be icky, that we may not want others to know, and then come together and talk about it so that five, 10 years down the road in our marriage, it wouldn't be a surprise to either one of us. Oh, you're dealing with that, right? We came together, we discussed it, we put the papers on top of each other, we prayed over them, and then we burnt that paper. And then we decided it stops here. You know those things that you were told, well, your, your grandfather was an alcoholic, your dad was an alcoholic, so you're probably gonna be one too. Nope, because it stops here, right? Oh, well, his dad abused the kids, so you're probably gonna abuse, Nope, it stops here. And we have the opportunity because of the grace of God, God wasn't ashamed of his family. He highlighted it so that we could see his grace is big enough to cover the blackest of human sin. And he chooses the most flawed and imperfect people to bring about his purpose. And if Jesus isn't ashamed of his past, we shouldn't have been ashamed of it either, but we can bring it before him, bring it before the cross, and bring it under the blood of Jesus and say, as for me and my house, I choose to serve the Lord so the generations behind me can serve the Lord. You know, my family story would look a little different if I allowed the enemy to continue to have the writing in my family tree. But I made a decision that from this day forward, he will have no more authority over my family and over my family tree. Not that I'm ashamed of where I came from. I'll highlight it because I know God's grace is big enough to cover it. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're there where you thought you couldn't be used by God, your family. I don't know it, but Jesus does. He's tapping on your heart today and saying, let me in. I can change it forever. I can change you from the inside out and everyone around you and everyone that's coming behind you, I can change it forever. Or maybe you're, uh, you're too focused you know, the last point was so we could focus on Jesus. Maybe you're too focused on other things. Maybe you're too focused on the chaos of the holiday to even stop and think about Jesus but Jesus is tapping on your heart today as well and saying, hey, just look at me. All the stress and anxiety that you feel, maybe some depression, I don't know where you're at, but Jesus is saying, hey, look at me and all that will grow strangely dumb because you're looking at me, I got you. Here at True North Church, we say it is easy as A, B, C, admitting, hey, (laughs) I need a savior, I need some grace right be believing that Jesus is the only one that can save us from everything that we're going through from the past, present and future. Jesus is the only answer to all of our problems that we face. So I believe and then see I confess cuz there's power. The Bible says that when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we will be saved. There's there's power when we say yes, Lord, out loud to him. Maybe you're there here today and we wanna extend that invitation because Jesus extends that invitation. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you that there's nothing too hard that you can't handle. God, we come before you today and we admit we fall short but we believe that you are our answer because what you did for us on the cross, you bore everything on the cross, all of our sicknesses, all of our diseases, all of our sin, all of our shortcomings, you took them on yourself so that we could experience true freedom. And we confess that today, God, we thank you and we give you the praise. And in Jesus name, we all say, amen. What a fantastic service. Be sure to stay in touch by following us on social media so you can stay up to date with all that is happening at True North Church.